everyone. Welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. Hey guys, um, this week we are going to be doing kind of a movie review and just kind of analysis of a film that we both just saw recently called 2000 Mules. Um, it's definitely been getting a lot of kind of media attention, especially on the internet and has been um, definitely something that people are watching kind of nationwide and taking in the information. Mm -hmm. um, it's very kind of data heavy. And we're going to be looking at it from just kind of a factual perspective, presenting the facts, pre presenting um, the information, um, as well as kind of dissecting it, analyzing it, and then giving our feedback both our critiques of the information presented but also what makes sense and what um seem possible mm -hmm. yeah so i guess you could call it a movie i mean in terms of what genre it is it was presented in a documentary format um directed and produced by dinesh d'souza who's done other more politically topiced types of documentaries of the sort. I mean, he's definitely known in that space of kind of yeah. presenting information that is more political, um, has has received, I guess, opinion as as being more controversial, I guess you could say. Yeah. And um, I have seen other other films of his prior to this one. I think we talked about the Trump card one. The Trump card, mm-hmm. He's done... He's, he's done one on Obama. He's done one on Hillary Mm -hmm. He's done one on like different history points of the U.S. Yeah, very America. It's always America based. linked. Yeah, he's an immigrant from India, I think, and was a professor at um, I think American University in okay. Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. and now is like obviously like in media and film production and yeah stuff very like very much in media i mean he's definitely on social media also he's just yeah he spews information but um we actually saw this documentary at a screening where he also attended and he spoke along with it um which was interesting to see because obviously something like this that has so much information um and a lot of it being so new that kind of we didn't really hear anywhere or receive no, anywhere else none of this was like prefaced at all when when all the election stuff popped up and people were talking about you know the sharpies and the voter fraud and the dominion voting machines and my pillow guy and, <laughs> and rudy giuliani and um what was the movie with rudy giuliani that he was in the i don't even know where he like went for his he, he was, it was like they were accusing him of sexually assaulting that girl. But oh yeah, yeah. What's the movie? I don't know what the movie is, you know, but oh, like uh, the Fox News, the Fox News movie. No, bombshell. It's the comedy. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, you know, it's it, gosh, why am I blinking? <laughs> okay, I think we need the to Borat, look this up. The Borat, Borat Two. Oh, Borat. There was even yeah. like a reference to it in Borat Two. Okay. Um, anyways, we were on like a roll there, but well, yeah, there Rudy was, was under fire for so long because he was so close to, I mean, just all of the election results and, and on the Trump team on the Trump side. So yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it, it all became just, kind of a meme really fast. Yeah. People were playing dirty and I think we all forget that the election, the 2020 election lasted 
like six weeks, <laughs> seven oh weeks. Yeah. It just felt like it was it was never going to end. You didn't know if there was going to be an inauguration. Remember that? Yeah, and we're and we're at the end of 2020 after this hellish year, and we're like, okay, now we have this. You know, this this election that's just and not the Georgia even, runoffs, the Georgia runoffs, yeah. mm-hmm. and then all of that came to fruition on on January 6th, I guess, to close it out. But um, yeah, so should we back up to what? was going on with the election and kind of how that felt. Yes. Yes. Um, well, first off, I, I just wanted to put, okay. I guess, frame a little bit more on, on this screening that we saw in yeah. Dinesh because um, he came and he supplemented the screening of the documentary um, with answering some questions for people. And actually that, that was also really informative because people asked some very relevant questions just about the information. I love to see that, you know, people being skeptical and sort of, you know, not coming at him with, oh, you're wrong or this is black or white. Yeah, it's but can just you explain help us more? fill the holes. Yeah. And I felt like in a lot of ways, the, do- the documentary did fill a lot of holes that I had been questioning over the last two years. Um, but still, and I think Ella will both agree that there are some that we feel like haven't been filled yet that maybe hopefully they can and yeah. so that we can have a better election next next time but um yeah I, I just wanted to sort of preface that environment that we um were in with seeing this and um not try to you know talk about what the analysis of the information is without you know any bias because we don't have that and we don't want to bring that to you guys because we want you to internalize it for yourself Mm -hmm. and formulate your own sort of thoughts on it so yeah yeah. for sure Mm -hmm. I totally agree um great way to put it uh yeah so I feel like Jordan brought this up and we're now what in 2022 halfway through with 2022 almost Mm -hmm. we're in Mm -hmm. June which is crazy um and coming up on another election cycle so we're we're already in the next cycle and I feel like the 2020 election was it was so crazy because we were so still in COVID gear, like COVID world. Mm-hmm. And it felt like starting in the summer, there was talks of like, okay, how is COVID going to affect this election? And that was something that we had never gone through before. I mean, I had never really thought that much about mail-in ballots before. I had like, I had done it before in like primaries and stuff or like I'd only voted in one election before this, which was like the 2018 midterms. And I did have like an absentee ballot because I went to college like in a different state, but I never like thought anything of it. Like I never questioned the election or like thought it was weird to do like a mail-in ballot, mm-hmm. you know, just something that some people did, some people didn't. Mm-hmm. But um, I felt like in the 2020 election, it was just so overly like advertised because we were in COVID because there was this fear that if you vote in person, you're going to get COVID that you could, there's still rumors that you could get COVID from like sharing pens and stuff, which we know now that that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So I think there was just a lot of momentum and money even like on social media of people voting via mail and that Mm -hmm. being kind of like a trend. And I remember I even had like a friend in New York who voted and he was trying to track his ballot and it never got 
place like it never got counted so we actually had to like fly all the way back to arizona to vote in person because he was so concerned about his vote like not going through so he was on the on the online website tracker to try to find it and it wasn't pulling no yeah wow and he even voted like democrat so it wasn't even something that was like trump related partisan no yeah Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up just when the conversation of the mail-in ballots, when that started happening, because I actually do remember the shift from the justification of mail-ins, the push for mail-ins being, it, it, it started, oh, we need to have the option of more mail-in ballots because people who are sick, they need to stay home. Mm-hmm. Like we need to have the mail-in option because people who are quarantining need to be able to vote from their homes. But then it started, the narrative shifted to, oh, but we need more mail-ins because people just cannot even be in these voting areas. Even healthy people. Yeah, even healthy people because the germs will spread. Okay, like obviously everywhere you go, anywhere that's in a public place, you're going to be exposed to other types. That's not anything new that no one has experienced before. Mm -hmm. So I remember that shift though and I feel like they just hounded on certain groups of people hounded on that and and that's where the traction of more mail-ins really hit yeah and and there was it wasn't just okay we we went from there were so many things happened we went from okay just the vulnerable people can do mail-in ballots and what it what really the difference between universal mail-in ballots and and requesting an absentee ballot is totally different Mm -hmm. universal mail-in ballots is when the state has a voter role usually the voter role is very outdated i mean if you've been to the dmv you know how inefficient and, and outdated the government systems are like they are so imagine the dmv running the election like that's what we're dealing with <laughs> even if you aren't a conspiracy person like it's just it's a mess like it's not a well-organized system like when have you ever had a positive experience yeah. at the dmv yeah these are the people that no are running one. your election so mm-hmm. they're they're you know in states like california for example even before 2020 they just will mail every address ballots Mm -hmm. so like we could get ballots for example like in our old address in california even though we don't live there anymore the more the merrier we aren't registered to vote there anymore because we might still be on like an old voter registry there because we live there Mm -hmm. um uh you know so that that's part of the problem is that we shifted to where all kind of all the states or a lot of the states were starting to just send out people's ballots, even if you didn't request an absentee ballot, because it used to be you had to request an absentee, an absentee mm-hmm. ballot in order to be mail-in, and then they would check that across with your ballot. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have that check anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like strike one. And then strike two was that a lot of states were starting to allow for people to do these drop boxes, where it used to be... Um, you had to like physically go to the place that you're supposed to be voting at mm-hmm. and hand in your ballot or mail mm-hmm. it or do something very specific. Mm-hmm. But then they started having all these drop boxes everywhere and it wasn't directed towards your specific district. Mm-hmm. You could just vote for wherever. Like people were voting on our college campus mm-hmm. and our campus wasn't even open. You yeah, know. no, there are ballot boxes everywhere, and I mean, I'm not sure who's manu- who manufactured them in such a short period of time. Because I mean, the the difference from the 2016 election to 2020, just in terms of how many were there, it's it's night and day. And um, I'm really glad that you highlighted that 
um, difference between when you had to fill when you had to request an absentee ballot ahead of time that was like a very deliberate thing you did you planned for you knew oh I'm gonna be out of town or overseas or you know something I have going on around election week election day means I have to do this mail-in ballot ahead of time and so when they had that filled out and then mailed it was to a specific place you know not that's that's a lot more deliberate than just filling out something, putting it in an envelope, and then putting it into some metal container that's on the side of the road. <laughs> because, I mean, just in it, looking at the physical risk that is incorporated into that equation as opposed to um, uh, an envelope is in your human hands and then shipped off and then it's delivered to another human hands. Like, it, there's no in-between of yeah. that, like, m- you know, mechanism. So, And, th- and then something weird... And like another thing that was weird was that I felt like we were told like, okay, like before the election happened, they were like, this is going to be like the most secure election possible. And even if you have good intentions and you're trying to do something new to be accommodating for COVID. Actions speak louder than words. To be doing a total 180 of how we vote in a less than six month period, let alone on a national scale in one of the largest, most populated countries in the world where each state has different ways of how they vote and different, like it's not even like our voting system is like universal or super complex to like do that big of a shift and then just not to be like, oh, there might be like issues Mm-hmm. is just naive mm-hmm. i mean it takes so much work to like get a passport or get an id or go to the dmv like there's so much intricacies that go into that and so not to think like oh there might not be like user error is just naive in yeah. my opinion because it was just so different from what we had even done in 2018 and also factoring in the labor shortage that was at, happening at the time and and the amount of people who probably you know, step down from any government-related position that they may have had. I mean, we were short-staffed in a lot of industries. And, I mean, just morale-wise, all of us were so fed up with everything in 2020 leading up to that. And so, you know, all of that concocting into them still thinking it was a good idea to incorporate such a massive change from how we ran our, our elections previously was just kind of like a recipe for disaster yeah I think so and then also changing I think you also saw like certain um states last minute were changing their laws temporarily and that's mm-hmm. also what's happening during COVID where you were seeing things like mandates pop up or like oh you have a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate but then you found out oh it was temporary and it wasn't actually a law and it was just the governor mm-hmm. doing that so you also saw that with different states and one of the biggest things was certain states were changing their rules where they could keep counting votes after election night Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard of that happening before. I hadn't either. I mean, I've heard of like, okay, maybe a runoff, too close to call. Um, obviously, like the thing that happened with, with Bush versus Gore mm-hmm. in Florida. Special case scenario. But I had never heard of this universal thing where multiple states, multiple counties were 
allowing votes votes to be counted mm. five days after. And post that election day, the all the reasoning was just tied back to, oh, it's because we've got more mail in ballots we're, coming they're in. They're delayed. You the, know, the post office. We found another another yeah. bulk of ballots and wherever it was. And that was always the excuse. And pe- all of us are sitting there watching on TV and getting all of this feedback going, oh, okay, it's because of the mail-ins, because of the mail-ins. But people did predict that that would happen because, I mean, there's there was no way to track them. They don't have microchips on them, you know, to, to be able to see where they were and, and when they would be coming in. And, and there was just all of this, um, there are all these discrepancies, you know, like in the middle of the night, a, a 140,000 ballots to one candidate being found, in the back of a truck or the back of a van. Or seeing the votes count go down of one mm-hmm. candidate. Like I remember How is that, that even possible? And then I remember, I just don't ever remember like going, you go to bed and then you, we were told to, that was what was weird. We were like being conditioned six months prior. Like don't expect that you're going to know the election. Mm-hmm. Um. On the day. On the day of, which was weird that we were, like, conditioning mm-hmm. from that early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there was some conditioning yeah. going on. And I feel like the amount of just how how dragged out the 2020 election was, even, at, even after January 6th, I think, has now even conditioned us more that it's going to seem almost impossible to have um, a consensus on the day of again. Yeah. Like say that's what happens in 2024. We'll be all in disbelief, you know, comparing it to what we just saw in 2020. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. You mean it'll be more normalized? I just think that this is now going to be a trend, you know, yeah. that we're not never going to know on the day of until we get rid of absentee and mail-in ballots, unless we figure out a whole other way of, of doing the voting system and, and counting process. But, yeah, so let's talk about like what the initial some of the initial lawsuits were that came out mm-hmm. and why this I feel like we stopped talking about election fraud like it was like a really big thing for a few months after the election and then it kind of stopped being a thing and then it seemed like all these lawsuits kept getting dismissed and nothing was really like none of the evidence was really there it seemed like there was a lot of things that were either conspiracy theories or just you couldn't find the evidence or Mm -hmm. it was just there wasn't enough evidence there wasn't enough evidence the lawsuits were getting dismissed for whatever reason um do you think that the reason why there wasn't that the coverage sort of slowed down and basically came to a halt just over the lawsuits and their and their dismissals. Do you think that that was because because we know the media is very partisan? Do you think that they kind of buried it because they knew the lawsuits were maybe revealing some sort of element of truth? Well, I don't know. I mean, I there was so there was fifth there were sixty um, three lawsuits contesting the election um, in multiple states and. Um, some of the judges who dismissed lawsuits were even appointed by Trump and nearly the, all the suits were dismissed or dropped due to lack of evidence, which is obviously very broad. Um, but it was described as suits that were frivolous or without merit. Now, is that because there wasn't enough time to gather the data? Was that because, um, 
things there were so many different theories out there that maybe not all of them were super trackable and provable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but that was kind of what was going on. Um, and I don't think, I don't, I, I think that that probably was in the favor of the media that these, yeah. these lawsuits weren't really going anywhere at least yeah, and that they could just go away yeah. and, and not, have to be something in the conversation anymore yeah and then there was something where um there was one ruling that was initially in trump's favor where first time pennsylvania voters must provide proper identification if they wanted to cure their ballots um this ruling affected very few votes though and then it was later overturned. I feel like that was another problem too, is that it was weird. Like I even went to vote and like they didn't check my ID. And also I remember like when I had voted previously, like you had to go to a specific um, place to vote that was associated with your um, county and you had to like wait really long in like a long line and stuff. Mm -hmm. And with this, like the voting took place over like weeks there was like two weeks where the voting places were open so even if you voted in person it was a different experience than previously mm. and you could vote anywhere in your state yeah or you city. could literally look it up on google there was like multiple places locations and and just show up and drive what, up whenever you can which again i feel like is a is a is a way where there's could be more issues and more and lead to less election integrity because if you have people going to different um districts to vote it's like you don't have a list of okay these are all the registered voters in this district and these are all the ballots that i got in and i'm gonna like cross-reference them Mm. you're instead of having a like this is all the people registered in the state and these are all the ballots that are coming through with the state and that's a lot Mm -hmm. more to manage than a than a district which is smaller you know yeah and if you weren't on any sort of list that stated oh here say you were to show up, you state your name, but you're not on that list of, of, you know, being able to vote at that location, then you weren't able to do that. Like, and if they weren't even asking for your ID, you could have gone anywhere. Um, so yeah, I do think that that, that allows for more, um, and I guess (laughs) bad behavior. (laughs) Um, should we dive into the film? I feel like we've been kind of yeah yeah that's yeah (laughs) that's the main thing here um i thought it was really interesting i will say i think the tech behind it fascinated me the most and we'll get into this a little bit more basically how they were able to prove this or not prove but reveal some of this information some of this data was mainly through geo tracking which a lot of people may already know because it's you know, involved with all of our devices, our phones, laptops. I mean, this isn't anything new. Obviously, data is basically its own currency now at this point. Um, But the tech that they showed was linked to satellite information that basically was able to track people through their cell phones that were on them Mm -hmm. and see how they were moving throughout counties in states that they were looking at very specifically um the main ones being arizona pennsylvania wisconsin michigan and georgia Georgia. pennsylvania i said pennsylvania oh sorry yes (laughs) so those ones and um they basically watched their movement 
through these days, you know, these days around the election time, and were able to see if they were going to multiple ballot boxes in a day, and along with ballot boxes, also other institutional buildings that were linked to nonprofits in those areas too. And so, I mean, right off the bat, why would someone be going to multiple ballot boxes in a day? And that's kind of the main thing that they're trying to, I guess, enforce is just, I mean, do, do you guys do that as a listener? Like, did you go to multiple ballot boxes in a day? Like, who does that? Are you scoping out the area? Are you <laughs> trying you know, to find the best, the most is, secure one to is drop maps, it off at? <laughs> Is maps directing you into the wrong place? Like, what, I mean. And what, some of them were, were going to different counties. They were cross, they were, you know, you were, you would, you looked at one, um, tracking of one person and they did this like crazy zigzag loop-de-loop where (laughs) they're like on like multiple different freeways a a very unorthodox way of driving you know they're not just passing by the ballot box it's and and they showed when in these zoom out zoomed out views of you know the tracked person they indicated it with a red dot typically um some of these ballots these ballot boxes were in such you know hidden and specific locations like that these people aren't just walking by to walk into a Home Depot. It's not just, you know, place next to a trash can in the middle of the parking lot. It's in a very specific place around one of these buildings. So for them to be shown there, mm-hmm. it is sort of a rational brain can can say that they were there at the ballot box putting something in the ballot box. Yeah. So they had to the people that they were primarily looking at were people that lived in um, specific counties within those six states. And it usually was the counties that were the more populated ones. For example, in Arizona, where Jordan and I live, and we that's where we voted, it was in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix and Scottsdale and, and a lot of the major cities are located. Um, in Detroit, or in Michigan, it was kind of the Detroit area. I don't remember the name of the county, but mm-hmm. that area. Um, P- Pennsylvania, it was, it was close to Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Area, area. And what they decided was... Each person that they were looking into as someone that was um, suspected of basically voter fraud Mm -hmm. had to meet certain criteria for them to consider them someone carrying out voter fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was they had to go to at least 10 drop boxes. And then I think that they had to go to multiple of these like nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one person had to do, had to meet both of those requirements um, in, in order, order to be considered a mule. In order to be considered a mule, which a mule was someone who was ballot trafficking. And the difference between trafficking ballots and harvesting or harvesting ballots and um, having someone or yourself return your absentee ballot is basically like there are some states that allow for absentee ballot um, either sending or drop-offs, but it usually has to be either you or a family member. And California is really the only state that allows anyone to drop it off on your behalf, but you can't be doing multiple runs to multiple different drop boxes. Like that Mm. is a little off and you're Mm -hmm. going to these nonprofit organizations that have to do with voting. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, it's like, kind why of would weird. you be going there and then to all of these ba- ballot locations all in one day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that was how um, the documentary started to introduce what the framing of this, of this whole concept is. Um, they brought in a member of, of the founder of True the Vote, which is an organization that basically works to, I guess, preserve election integrity. And then they also brought in another company that basically conducted all of the satellite data, compiling, compiling and organizing and searching. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that company name was. Um, But the other guy was also on the board of Choose a Vote. Yes, his name was Greg Phillips. He um, and Catherine, who's the founder of Choose a Vote, they were basically the ones who were presenting all of this data to Dinesh and um, I was actually very impressed by how they did that. I felt like it was the perfect amount of, or not, I don't want to use the word perfect, it's so absolute, but they they definitely showed the tech, but it wasn't so in the weeds that, that as a viewer I was like overwhelmed yeah. by it because they stated things like, oh, we have four, 40 million or 4 million um minutes of footage that we haven't gone through we they have all of this data and it's like okay that's so much I can't even wrap my head around that um but then they did segue into showing us some footage and I am glad that they supplemented all of this with the footage because I mean at the end of the day footage anything that's that's visible you know visible like that is a lot more evident of what you're trying to say and um, I mean, you, we saw clips of people just tossing in, you know, handfuls of ballots into into these ballot boxes. And um, that's kind of when the tone shifted of the doc a lot. Yeah. And I think that I think when the voter fraud stuff first kind of came into the conversation, and this is what happens with a lot of issues um, and things that are easily labeled like conspiracies is that you are told immediately like the most exaggerated version of the story. So it's doesn't feel very believable. Like when you ask most people, like, do you think there's mass widespread voter fraud? I think people before watching this were like, uh, no, but I bet that there's some voter fraud. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not an idiot. Like I know that it's not a hundred percent. That it is possible. And I felt like when the election stuff happened on one side, we were told this is the most secure election ever. And then on the other side, it was like, they were dumping ballot, like buckets upon buckets. (laughs) And like, you're picturing like room full of ballots being dumped in fake trucks that are just spilling out. And you're like, how could anyone get away with that? You know, like that's probably what the average like rational person um, is thinking. But what this documentary showed is that these states, it it was so close. The margin was so thin. um, It only really took 2000 people making a few extra trips to ballot boxes with a few mm. extra ballots over several weeks. Because remember, we already established that point that, that voting was happening, not mm. over one day, but over several weeks. So you could kind of do this slow incremental cheating. Mm. Um, and so it was possible mm-hmm. because when you spread over, if you have you know a month to two weeks to gather votes, it, you can just send a few people a day to drop off. It's so much more discreet. Yeah. It's, it lessens the possibility of them being caught. 
or you know with it, with it being so spread out yeah. i mean it's it's look at how much it's taken with these you know companies that have all this data tracking information and um you know just all the footage that are, by having it be so spread out it's made it even harder to be able to prove this yeah um and i think that they knew that it needed to be it needed to be so um dispersed across all these people and in all these counties that that it wasn't able to be like totally fully identified so i totally get that um but I do, I do think that there was, and, and what this shows is there was some sort of organized plot um, in each of these areas that had a top-down level of authority to people who were, who maybe weren't in the know of what they were doing, mm-hmm. these mules, or who, who were desperate for money, or whatever their situation was that got them into this position of being... Um, ballot harvesters and actually doing the drop-offs. I don't know what, it could be anything, um, but they conducted it and it they're the ones like, caught on tape. It was kind of like watching like Postmates or something. It did, yeah. It felt like watching Postmates and what was weird is a lot of the footage, so okay, the footage, let's get into the footage really briefly. So in most states, I think, or nationwide, if you were going to do a Dropbox, you had to have a camera linked to that Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And I guess these cam- the camera footage is supposed to be publicly available. So anyone who wants access to this footage should be able to request it and they receive it. Now, they explained that some counties, they were having issues getting the footage. Mm-hmm. But they still were able to secure 4 million minutes right? I think 4 million minutes worth of footage. So still a lot of footage, but still there was like certain full on cities where you couldn't even get any of the footage Mm -hmm. because it was, or, or the cameras were forgotten to be turned on Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, already quote unquote forgotten (laughs) already. There's kind of some questions at least there. Mm -hmm. So what they did, like Jordan said, is they were able to obtain the footage and then be like, okay, this, this footage is from this Dropbox. Okay. This person visited this Dropbox. So they match the location of the Dropbox. And then you're able to see at this time, like you're watching the data of the mm-hmm. person drive up. You're and seeing the, them on the geotracked map. And the their point, stamps. their red dot is there at that point in time. With the same of footage. This footage. And so the timestamps are identical. So you're matching a video recognition of someone to their phone recognition and mm-hmm. and id so you saw footage of people that definitely it was kind of suspicious it would be um you know from 12 a.m to 5 a.m it wasn't people just grandma walking her dog and dropping it off mm-hmm. on her way to the park with the dog like, yeah and you was, can see in the footage they have a pile a, typically a stack about 10 of multiple ballots yes um all going into just one that could be their second stop of the day their only stop of the day it would depend but um aside from that they also had to take a picture of them putting it in yeah where those photos were were going i don't know i mean would you guys take a picture of putting your ballot in the ballot at, box is that really that interesting of a thing i mean is that a lasting memory you want to save yeah um why why were all of these people taking photos and then they were wearing gloves some of them mm-hmm. in the georgia runoff because 
there was like rumors going around that, or maybe they were actually tra- finding people, but they were they were saying, oh, we can get the fingerprints of people on, that are doing these drop-offs. Mm-hmm. And so then they started wearing gloves, and then they would take the gloves off and throw them away. Yeah, they would walk up to the ballot box with the ballots in their hand, yeah. have the gloves on, put them in, and then the second after putting them in, take the gloves off. Yeah. So if the gloves, if they're trying to prove that the gloves were for COVID reasons or something like that. Like why throw Why away? would they take them off two seconds after? Yeah. And then um, just to kind of like break down the data and maybe we could throw up this chart in uh, post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, but so these, this was kind of the data breakdown of how they got, were able to show how many illegal votes were out there. And this is, this is being very persnickety with the data. This is, undercutting it a lot with those two minimum qualifications of they had to have visited 10 ballot boxes in a day and also these nonprofits. this is what i I believe Mm -hmm. i mean someone could fact check us on this but i believe this is what the doc said and so but i mean those are pretty strict qualifications right i mean someone could have maybe only gone to two ballot boxes in a day and only one nonprofit, and they didn't make this no, list. No, they didn't make the list. So this is ruling really the people who did meet that criteria, and anyone who maybe just was vaguely not in that criteria, who still was doing the same behavior, the same pattern behavior, they weren't um, factored into these numbers. No. So. No. Um, okay. So what we have here is we have in Pennsylvania – um, there was a thousand, uh, a thousand one hundred and fifty mules identified. Um, there's forty five drop boxes, and then I think that they averaged how many? How many like ballots per person? Wasn't it like average of five? I think it was five. Yeah, five. And so that already gets you at two hundred and seventy five thousand estimated illegal votes and they do that pretty much state by state and the three states where there was more um illegal votes than um excuse me there was more illegal votes than from just this strategy alone than biden winning the margin in that state was pennsylvania Mm -hmm. georgia and arizona so three out of those six states already there was more mm-hmm. illegal ballots out there mm-hmm. than what Biden's margin. So it would have winning. shifted that state's electoral Those states. college votes. Yes. Yeah, on a macro. That's, that's crazy. Which is a, it's a big deal, especially when the data is very shortened. And if you increased the amount of visits to drop bo- or decrease the amount of visits to drop boxes from, 10 to 5, you're going to hit all those states mm. as qualifying. Yeah, if they loosened the criteria yeah. up a, a little bit and really looked at every piece of data and go through all that 4 million minutes of footage, they probably would or find Or looked at every county. A lot more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These were just the major counties. Mm. So um, this was really crazy to see and to take that in, um, these two 2,000 mules. And... I think what was the saddest part for me with this documentary was seeing the people that were 
used in this process, mm-hmm. I guess, to yeah. accomplish that. Like people, the types of people that were supposed to be, we were presented that we were protecting by doing mail-in ballots, by doing the drop boxes, by being accommodating for COVID were the exact people that got taken advantage of through this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're out there doing manual labor, driving around, you know, multiple miles in a day, out in the elements, you know, and probably knowing that they're doing something that's somewhat underhanded. Maybe they knew, maybe they didn't. We're not exactly sure what they were told from these nonprofits or from whoever else. But um, they, I mean, you could you could even see in some of the ballot box drop-offs them walking away really fast with their heads down, like it looked like they knew something was suspicious going on or they would... Oh, I was talking about the people that got the the ballots harvested from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those were the people that I feel like were taken advantage of, which I guess mm-hmm. we need to get into that side okay. of the equation now gotcha. first to even digest. Well, we can finish that up. Like, Are yeah. you talking about like people who are, you know, elderly out of out of their consciousness and in at the level of being able to consciously fill out their ballot in in the way that they're supposed to. Well, yeah. So like let's sorry, let's back up for a second. So we have the mules who we've identified, we talked about that. Yes. Then the the documentary talks about okay, where are the mules getting the ballots? Mm-hmm. So they're the chain of command. Okay, they're getting it from these nonprofits. And where the nonprofits getting the ballots from. And that's what I'm talking about. Like okay. those people were so, I feel like those were the people that were really targeted, um, that were vulnerable. These are people in, like you said, in nursing homes that are forced to either vote or there's a bunch of ballots being sent to these offices that we don't even know if these people are voting. Mm-hmm. Maybe the ballot, the, their ballots are just getting sent directly to these nonprofits. Yeah, people who had passed away. Um, yeah, people who were homeless at homeless shelters, they would request ballots on their behalf. Um, there was a lot of people in communities that were Hispanic who didn't speak English and couldn't drive. And so the nonprofits would show up to their house and pick up their ballots. Horrible. Um, so that was also the thing too. I felt like the documentary could have done a better job analyzing that part of it, mm. the equation. Cause they did a really mm. good job with the mules. I tracked that. It was very detailed. That made sense. They to showed me. us the tech. Yeah. 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 But the, the, before that, yeah. The leading up to that part wasn't really explained thoroughly enough. I don't think IE where all of the collection of these ballots even came from, how exactly they did that, because maybe if we could have answered some of those questions, we wouldn't even need to get that far down the line and talk about um, what happened afterwards. Mm. Like maybe we maybe we go hit it at the core That'd be enough. and prevent yeah. people from ballot harvesting to begin with, and then we won't even have a mule situation. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, because if you don't have the ballots to give to the mules, then the only other <laughs> option would be creating your own fake ballot, like creating fake ballots, which I, I guess you could do Is that. possible, Is but possible. you would need some, I mean, the government probably has certain, just like with money, there's certain ways that they print it that yeah. they know that it needs to be so intricate that it cannot be 
recopied, but I mean, it is possible. In theory, yeah. it is possible. Or just probably not on a mass or scale. Or you're just talking about the Dominion theory, the Dominion voting machine theory, where mm-hmm. paper trails were getting lost, stuff like that. So, so it's not that. Yeah, but I, I do agree. I think stopping it at its core, then we wouldn't even have to be doing this mule <laughs> Proactive tracking. instead of reactive. Yeah. yeah. But it was, yeah, I agree. I feel like they didn't, they gave us some examples. They like would go into like a, a nursing home and show people that were clearly not in their right mind to be voting and like mm-hmm. barely, they weren't even able to talk. And they were getting ballots sent on their behalf and being forced to either fill it out or have someone who worked there mm-hmm. fill it off on their behalf. And something that I think came out during COVID was also like how horribly run a lot of these nursing homes are and how big of a problem <laughs> yep. elder abuse is in our society. And I think there's a lot of parallels between how COVID was marketed to us and how election integrity was marketed to us and how the reality of those two things being the opposite. With COVID, it was all about stay home, save grandma. But we killed off so many people in nursing homes, Mm -hmm. not only with COVID, by like in New York and New Jersey where we uh, like put COVID positive people in with non-COVID positive people in nursing homes and they all died. Um, But we also isolated them. We didn't let them see their family members. We drug them up with all these drugs and charged their family members. I mean, these places aren't... Thousands of dollars in bills. They're not the most caring places unless you're paying a lot of money. And even some of those could Mm be not... With COVID, it was stressful. And that's the universal average, which is why the bar is so low in terms of like the expectations that the staff and people who work there are supposed to bring to the table because that's just how it is it's like the whole industry yeah and then with election we victimized oh this like we're doing these drop boxes to help you know people that don't have access to cars people who don't have access to resources to vote to to um people who are elderly, like the people, people who are homeless, like people, the people that we were saying we were making all these accommodations for are the exact same people that we are taking advantage of by harvesting their ballots and then casting them for people that probably didn't have their best interest even at heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's sad. It's really sad. It's we need to take care of our elderly folks, <laughs> not, just, not just physically, and, but also yeah. integrity wise. I mean, Let's vote for them in the way that that we can, and we can help. I mean, it is possible to help them in an, in a in a way that is legal in terms of the whole voting process. So, um, but that doesn't entail a nurse, you know, walking in on a blind and deaf woman who's like on her last leg <laughs> and filling out her ballot and just speaking words into her head, and she yeah. has no idea what's going on. That's that's not right. Or going to <laughs> and a anyone home- who wants to argue that. I mean, come on. Yeah, or when they went they went into these neighborhoods where most people didn't speak English and 90% of the population couldn't drive. Mm-hmm. Um and then they're collecting their ba- their ballots and helping them helping them fill it out. Um yeah. I just I think about like 
the civil rights movement and Jim Crow and all these like things that were actual voter suppression. And then we were being told like we're doing these accommodations to help fix voter suppression, but actually we were suppressing the most vulnerable votes. And those were the ones that ended up being put in the hands of the mules and being dropped off. Well, then let's also shift to, to highlighting the mules in some of the predicaments that the people who were, who got leased into this mule, I guess, position. What, what are your thoughts on that? Who are those groups of people? What, what are, are they minorities also? Are they people who are desperate for money? What do you think they were sold in order to find themselves? Because people aren't just going on Craigslist looking for how can I become a ballot harvester? How can I know this, this is so new. How did they get leased in? Um, honestly, I think it, it does go down. It goes back to money. And I think that also is taking advantage of people because why do we have people that in our society when we're supposed to, our, our country has so much wealth and we pay so much money in taxes that we're, that should at a bare minimum be going to help people. That's what we're told. And then people are so desperate that they're willing to um, accept money and break the law uh, and put their, they're so desperate for their own um, security, you know, having money to be able to survive, that they're willing to put that on the line over election integrity. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. because their own basic needs aren't being met, that they're willing to, like, not Prioritizing care. their survival over their values and, and it's Or just, much- like, their long-term benefit. They're, we're, we're making people feel so desperate that they have to um, prioritize their short-term benefit, which is cash, to put, put, maybe put food on the table, mm-hmm. to maybe long-term benefit, which is maybe having a free election so that the best candidate could win that could actually have policies that benefit mm-hmm. the community. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah. I be, But I also think that that's just a survival mechanism. I mean, if you, if you can't eat and you're not going to live nine days beyond to even see who's the, the winner of the election, then what does it matter? So I'm not I'm not inferring that every mule was in a, in a position like that, but yeah. I would assume some were. Some were. Um, and I think that whoever was in charge of this top-down sort of organized scheme probably knew that, the predicaments of some of those people, and use that as a selling point. Oh, and, and we were in a, a horrible time as a country. We were in COVID. We were... Yeah, the riots. The, uh, people losing their jobs, the economic crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this made me just... Fe- it just made me feel like, oh, there's so many different types of, like, trafficking in this country, like human trafficking, drug trafficking with fentanyl going up, um, now ballot trafficking, drug traffic, it's just all of it. And it's, it's sad to think about. Um, but yeah. Is, yeah, but I do wish that we, they also didn't name the nonprofit. So that was kind of another area of skepticism. Mm-hmm. What did mm-hmm. you think about that? Not fully understanding. It, it goes back to the preface. It, yeah. I mean, they talked a lot about the what and not about the why and the in the pre context that maybe could have helped um, 
I guess, support this overall claim that they were presenting. Um, so maybe if they did that, and maybe they do have that information, it's just still in the works of being organized and, and they have to be very... Careful about what they disclose. Yeah, careful about yeah. how they put that out there. But um, I did feel like the numbers that they showed with being able to see the geotracking um, map data and then also the footage and seeing how that, those two paired up um, was strong and I will definitely give them credit for for presenting that in a strong way. I mean, it was compelling. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and and knowing that they were hard and strict on the criteria um, helped boost that also. But yeah, like I said, not all the not all the holes are filled, and and maybe they will be soon. But what about the footage? I know there was one question that you had that also paralleled with something that um, one of the viewers asked Dinesh at the event that we were at mm-hmm. and it was okay you have all this footage a why haven't you released it all um b why didn't we see someone which this was your point to me which I thought was great why didn't we see someone that went to all of the drop boxes in one mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. so Dinesh did answer this question and he claims that he has a piece of evidence or a piece of footage that shows one mule okay so one mule going to multiple boxes and having the footage at those multiple mm-hmm. boxes. Right now, we didn't see that in the documentary. We saw a bunch of different separate pieces of footage of different people at the di- at, at ballot boxes, but we never did see one provable same person at multiple ballot boxes. And so, I mean, if, if that really is out there, um, that would definitely support it even more. He says he's going to release it. Not sure when. I guess keep a lookout for that. But um, yeah, that that was not in there. And um, that was a really good question that someone asked because I hadn't even thought of that. But um, I guess that's why we're grateful to have gotten a chance to see it in that light. And I mean, he's he's definitely received a lot of a lot of controversial fire for this and. I think he probably knew that in in going into making this. Mm-hmm. And um I also liked that round table that round table B-roll type of footage that they got with all the other, you know, media people just to get their first-hand opinion. In Salem news. I'm not sure if that was um if that was scripted or not or manipulated in any way, but it did seem like they were they were receiving Dinesh's information for the first time yeah, and then giving their kind of first impressions on it, which was cool. What do you, so there's a lot of, um, since this film's been released, there's a lot of, uh, information kind of coming out. Um, next steps have been discussed too, in terms of, okay, we have the identity, identity or identity of some of these people, like let's charge them. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a recent charge or some sort of arrest in Arizona Mm-hmm. <laughs> a 66 year old woman her name is i think it's guillermina or something guillermina fuentes um will plead guilty today this is in arizona actually yesterday june 1st um for illegally harvesting ballots during the 2020 primary election so they're starting to go after people yeah and so of course this is arizona <laughs> our home mm-hmm. state but yeah arizona was one of these states that they looked closely at so um, I think that we're going to be seeing more of these pop up soon and as we get closer to this next election round. So um, 
Um, I guess that's movement in a way. Did you, for me, I mean, especially, I feel like something we talk about a lot on this podcast is being um, anti-government, anti-intervention, anti-like big tech, tracking people, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And obviously how they how they were able to show this election fraud was through purchasing data. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's definitely ironic. It's like, yeah, we don't love surveillance, but in this case scenario, the surveillance gave us the proof, you know, that we needed in order to reveal all of this. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I mean, I don't like surveillance in general, I mean, if I would prefer surveillance over not surveillance, I would choose the not surveillance route. Yeah. But right now, currently, if we're not going to get rid of mail-ins, which ultimately at the end of the day, I'm in favor of that because I think if we kind of go, if we take a more down-to-earth grassroots approach to voting, even if that means you have, like if you are a healthy, capable um financially stable enough person to be able to drive to a nearby polling location and vote in person for 30 minutes on election day, I think that you should do that. I and get that, a national holiday. Exactly. Yeah. And if everyone has to do it, there's no, not going to be yeah. any complaining because we'll all just be able to bond over it together. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are outliers. People have health conditions. People have different predicaments in their lives that might create outlier scenarios where they can't do that. In those case scenarios, we need to have another conversation. But this, everyone gets a mail-in ballot and they could be sent mm-hmm. to any address, any apartment that you had for a month and mm-hmm. then you moved away and then you got another one. That This is not going to work because um, we shouldn't be having to compensate for all of this absentee ballot chaos with more surveillance. I don't believe that that's where we should be putting all of our eggs in that basket. I think that we should be hitting it at the at the core, which is let's just get rid of the amount of elements in the equation at a mac on a macro level and just bring it back to home base a little bit. Yeah, more. because even though like in this scenario, I think the data that was purchased and the surveillance is being used for good. So like you said, double edged sword, it also can be used for bad. And Jordan and I were talking about what if the government or someone wanted to um plant your uh, phone location now at a crime scene, but you Mm -hmm. didn't commit the crime because maybe there was something against you. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're saying we've, we've created a standard with this that your phone is the same as your fingerprint. Therefore, if your phone's at a crime scene or allegedly your phone, like phone tracking is, then you are. Uh Um, And that's enough evidence like Mm -hmm. DNA Mm-hmm. Um, or f- video footage. So that, I guess that to, and that to me, and do we want videos everywhere? I mean, I guess there is video everywhere anyways, but I do think that, um, you know, I, I don't think that the people that were orchestrating this were really thinking about this level of surveillance. And I do think it's interesting that um, people that, you know, someone like Dinesh that is considered more right wing, um, even though, uh, True the Vote, who did the the data analysis, um, is bipartisan. Or sorry, they're yeah, bipartisan, so they mm-hmm. they don't have a side. But and they even brought up um, the 2018 
a 2018 election where a congressional election where there was a voter mm-hmm. fraud similar to this um, on the Republican side. So both parties cheat. This isn't special to one party and it's cheating's yeah. happened for decades. It's not a new thing that happens. Um, but I think that like right now the right is being more like anti-censorship, anti um, surveillance, like especially with like the COVID stuff and the vaccine passport. And this is kind of, a little tug and pull there because mm-hmm. it, they use surveillance to prove their point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's maybe just ponder some alternatives because obviously there, there are states right now that are trying to pass legislation to require more surveillance because they think that that's going to help. Um, which I mean, since it hasn't really hit the ground running yet, there's no saying if it will or not, but there, there's got to be other solutions here for people who genuinely are not in the position to be able to go to a polling locations and vote. Maybe there are state, the maybe there are state representatives that mm-hmm. go and they actually do an identification in person. Um, they do a test that sort of gauges if they're mm-hmm. consciousness and enough to be able to. Um, I guess, state who they're voting for or whatever. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's an in-person experience. I just, I don't want it to be anything blockchain oriented. I don't want it to be anything online because that's, you know, everyone's going to want to say the next thing is, is have it be all on the phone and we all just vote on the phone. And I think that the, the more convenient we try to make this, the less convenient and the more risk averse this whole thing becomes and we talk about convenience a lot on this podcast and how most of the time something that's convenient is not going to have a very integral return for you or your life or your values and I mean I think that this whole thing with the election stuff and just even voting in person I think that that um, applies too so yeah for sure um I want to talk about two more things quickly before we wrap this up first one is they just tomorrow there's going to be uh, more data on this that releases but there's been some um based uh, so there's been a poll that has been going around um and there's several questions about this film and if people have seen it um if you know, what their political affiliation is, if they've seen it, what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just kind of some early indicators, but the all the data hasn't come out yet. It comes out tomorrow. So um, 40% or more of all voters are aware of this film. 20 million voters have seen the film. The majority of Democrats and independents who have seen it said it strengthened their conviction of widespread mm, voter fraud. Independents also. Yeah. So Democrats and independents. So in general, like, the reception of this hasn't been, oh, well, this is just um, Republicans, far right people watching this, and it's just reinstating their view. This is people that are from all sides of the political spectrum, all types of different voters, and that just is, I think it's pretty objective because I think it was very narrow in its approach. And this was um, an ap- approach to prove. Uh, voter fraud like through data and something that wasn't going on with the lawsuits mm-hmm. um, and then the last thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, what we can do as voters to in general um, decrease fraud and okay. I think you already kind of laid out some great ideas especially like 
being preventative and being proactive versus reactive Mm -hmm. and just avoiding the mule situation altogether. I feel like, okay, before you go on to any list, I feel like probably one of the first things is honestly to just think about this. Yeah. I think that that's a step one because when you actually really put thought into the magnitude of what we're talking about here, I mean, this is a, this is a, a potentially civil war level, um, you know, conversation, because if, if we cannot trust in this, then we cannot trust in anything or anybody that is in any position of power. And so this is why certain people out there, including Dinesh, who is pretty much putting all of his eggs in in this basket right now are fighting so hard to preserve election integrity, because I mean, it was intrinsic to America when we came here. And I think that we just, we need to have that or we're going to, we're going to pivot massively. Yeah. If if we don't have uh, free and fair elections, then it it doesn't. The morale in this country will be bad. It's already horrible, and we won't have any say the next time. The and if next, you think if you think you're living in a simulation now, then that'll really be a simulation. Yeah, this is this is our chance to really turn things around, especially for like the 2024 election. Um, and I remember like when we had that Australian Australian woman on and she was talking about the elections and like the mail in there and hoping that that would turn around the lockdown situation or in Canada, um, the, the, it hasn't turned around there. I mean, Justin Trudeau just took away people's gun rights um, in Canada and they already didn't have a lot of gun rights to begin with and their government has proven that they 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 don't they shouldn't be the only ones with guns because they're tyrannical in their decision making um so if we don't have the last level of defense which is our elections being free and fair even at a state level um we won't get through the next covid whether that's a climate change crisis or a um, or something worse. Something worse. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is just kind of a short list of things you can do. Um, number one, clean the voter rolls. So True the Vote has set up a website, uh, www.iv3.us. Um, that helps citizens review their voter rolls and challenge inaccurate records. So like if, for example, you see that your name, um, your ballot is getting sent somewhere else, you can correct that mistake. Um, number two, stop ma- mail-in, uh, mass mail-in voting and abolish the drop boxes. Uh, now, the drop boxes, drop boxes are different than you dropping it off at a specific government, government place. So that's mm-hmm. a different thing. Um, eliminate private funding of elections. So Zuckerberg, other people were funding outside of the like nonprofit groups that were like the stations. There were other organizations um, or people that were funding stuff for the election and it was under kind of oh we're helping with covid and like distributing masks but really it was we're paying for a bunch of these drop boxes (laughs) really we're literally delivering and distributing ballot boxes yeah yeah Yeah. um impose punishments that fit the crime uh you gotta punish the people that are behind this and i i do agree with that because um unfortunately people have to to learn their lesson especially the people that are higher up in this posse scheme. Yeah. And I think that as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, some of these people getting caught 
and are now facing the legal the legal force because of it. I think I mm-hmm. hope that that continues to speed up a little bit more because I think that'll be a big driving force to help get this figured out before 2024 because if people know, okay, I can't get away with this, they're going to be less less down for agreeing to, you know, earn a couple few bucks just to put some ballots in these boxes. That's still if the mules thing is is around at that time, but um I guess we'll have to see. But yeah, I think that's a really great list. Um tangible. I think also just honestly putting thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> really looking looking at this, um doing some research, watching this documentary. Um I hope you guys think that our opinions on on this wasn't too partisan in any way because really this conversation isn't even a partisan thing this is integral to our democracy and just being a citizen of a country you don't want anyone to cheat because both sides will cheat yeah they have a record of it and don't be a cheater yeah and don't don't be in favor of cheaters either cheaters yeah and don't just be like well my side won this time with the cheating so i'm gonna turn a blind eye because you don't know yeah like so what if cheating happened because like i got my way well how does it feel if you didn't get your your way the next time and you knew cheating happened that that feels even worse yeah so yeah it's just it's safe to say we don't want cheating there to begin with at all yeah and we have to be able to trust our election system otherwise People, if people don't trust democracy, like people will turn to violence, and we definitely don't want that to happen. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, If you haven't seen the film, we recommend you check it out and just Mm -hmm. have an open mind. Definitely, there's areas to learn, there's areas to critique. Um, And then feel free to comment um, on the podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts, not only on this episode, but other topics that you'd like us to cover in the future. Um, And then make sure to like and subscribe and share the video. Yeah, I think that's everything, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) Okay. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We will catch you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.